WLIW-FM In Conversation, our special program that brings you dynamic voices from across our region and beyond. Welcome to WLIW-FM In Conversation. I'm your host, Diane Michelli, General Manager of WLIW-FM, and with me on this episode is Carrie Barrett, Director of Longhouse Reserve in East Hampton. Thank you for joining us, Carrie. My pleasure, Diane. I'm glad to be talking to you today. First of all, let's just start with you telling us about Longhouse Reserve. What's the story of Longhouse Reserve? How long do you have? Longhouse Reserve is, I would say, one of the (laughs) most beautiful places in a very beautiful place in in an area of the world that is filled with beauty. Mm -hmm. Everyone everyone who comes to Longhouse says, how did I not know about this place? It's so extraordinary. Say the reason the story is important and the reason why many of our guests wouldn't have known about it was that it was a pretty much a private place for a very long time. Longhouse is the house and garden of Jack Lenore Larson. Mr. Larson was the preeminent textile designer of the 20th century. I'll name drop and say he worked with Frank Lloyd Wright, Eros Saarinen, Mies van der Rohe. He designed the curtains in the Seagram building in New wow. York but was always a fan of the East End. And at at some point in the 70s, bought 26 acres. Can you imagine? 26 acres of what is the lower part of the Northwest Woods. And over a period of about 40 years, cultivated all of those acres. The first bit of the story, it was a place called Roundhouse, where Jack lived. It is a concept house Mm. based on the African tradition of a roundhouse. And about a decade after that, when Jack was traveling more in Japan, he became sort of enamored and energized by the idea of building a Japanese longhouse based on this house. The house that you can see today is based on a Shinto shrine, the one that particularly the one that he saw on the Ise Peninsula. Mm -hmm. He couldn't afford, he wasn't a wealthy man. He couldn't afford both. So he sold Roundhouse, uh, our neighbors, our friends who own it are the same people to whom Jack sold it back in 1989. And the rest is sort of history. He built Roundhouse. He cultivated um, with great care uh, the 16-acre garden. And visitors have been able to come to the garden now for a very long time, for over 20 years. Um, And the future is bright now. Jack died in December of 2020. I always say not from COVID. He was 93 and... But his wish, he prepared us Mm -hmm. for what to do. He said, when I die, grow this place, open it to the public, make it a community center, share my house with people and make sure that people keep coming to the garden. And that's that's the project now to do sort of what he, to take that gift and um, leverage it forward. What a beautiful legacy. Tell me a little bit about the art that people will see when they roam around the beautiful gardens. Jack started collecting sculpture in his own day. Um, he had some incredible friends. He, he knew Buckminster Fuller. We mm-hmm. have the uh, one of two Fly's Eye Domes, the greatest, almost the icon of Longhouse, right? If you look on our website, you see the great Fly's of the Dymaxion Dome from the great genius Buckminster Fuller. I can only imagine the conversations that they might have had together. Fuller was older, but still they knew each other. Um, Jack's great was great friends with Yoko Ono, who gave to Longhouse an exquisite work of art that I think is very meaningful now and to the future. It's an all-white chess set called Play It By Chance. 
so meaningful now in an era of still meaningful when she when she designed it. You think of the White Album that she did with John Lennon. This chess set resonates with the same sort of peaceful energy. Um, all these pieces are white, which is very interesting. I keep wanting to do a white tour. Saul LeWitt, another great friend of Jack's, built something called a city, which looks like kids love it. It looks like almost like a playground feature, but it is a great um, blocks upon blocks upon blocks. And situated in the middle of, of our landscape, you come upon um, you come upon something that looks like a building, but in the middle of nature, which I think is really what Jack, you know, what he was what he was all about the 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 pragmatism and also the paradox of art versus nature. You add to that, I've just told you about three of the permanent collection works, a changing exhibition that Longhouse has done for years, bringing in new contemporary artists. This year, we have, we're featuring works by Wyatt Kahn, an artist who most recently had an exhibition in City Hall Park. These are Corten steel sculptures, large, heavy, narrative, humorous, wonderful, and we hope to see Wyatt a few times this summer. And and gigantic monuments, actually cages or nests that are built by the artist Marin Hassinger. Last weekend, we actually had a, a twig weaving project where, back to our community, our, what Marin does is she engages the community with the building of the sculpture. And those are just a few. There are sculptures everywhere you turn, all throughout the garden. De Kooning, I should mention. De Kooning and the Ai Weiwei sculptures. Both of those are on loan to us, but the Ai Weiwei zodiac heads surrounding our amphitheater really resonate with a lot of people these days who like to find themselves in the Zodiac. WLIWFM in conversation had the pleasure of speaking with Fitzhugh Carroll, who also has some sculptures at Longhouse Reserve. These pieces were fantastic. I, I've only been at Longhouse a year and a half. And when I met Fitzhugh and he invited me to his home, um, in Springs, what he showed me were these trees that he was then only then carving. They were trees that had, had fallen during various storms, as happens out there. And they became, I hope this is what he said, but they became, he shared with us that they were really a project that got him through the pandemic, you know, a, a long range project, a big project. And I did say, you know, what happens to these next? Um, wink, wink. And as of last summer, they were arranged at Longhouse. This year, we we moved them. We recited them this year. So this is the second year, year. This group of five, they're like totem poles. And Fitzhugh calls them friends, which we love because that resonates with the way we know our trees. You know, there's a lot, lot written today about the secret life of trees and the way trees support each other, trees that exist even when we're in times of trouble all of our trees that help us create this peaceful environment. Um, and I just love Fitz, I think he does too, the Fitzhugh Carroll friends surrounded by other living trees, which is also a, a kind of iconic of life and death as well, life and death and living on, redemption, all of that. Absolutely. And one of the things we spoke with Fitzhugh about was landscape as an art form. And it seems that Longhouse really embodies that, I think. Oh, landscape is an art form. You know, Jack I was a textile designer and he, he sold the license to Larson Textiles to be able to afford to build what we know and love as Longhouse. 
there is now, you can still buy Larson textiles, even though he hasn't designed. He really gave up designing textiles in order to design landscapes is where I'm going with this. He really, where did that energy, that creativity, that sense of, that sense of texture and color and the way things weave together, it, it doesn't just go away because he sold the company. All of that went into his landscape. And I think what, what I'm really looking forward to is sort of opening up people's eyes to the very unique ways that Jack gardened, which are different than most any other garden that you'll ever see. Um, Jack like colorways, um, there's a lot of overlapping of textures, plants growing upon plants. Someone said, oh, he did that because he didn't like to weed. So every space is covered, but that could also be a capacity of the weaver's mind where you fill the entire loom, you fill the entire pattern. And, but also then segmenting areas of the garden as I would call them galleries. I think he might've too, but by different paths, by how you get to them so that you always feel sort of contained in a space and then you walk down a path and you go to the next. To me, that is a weaver's journey, which is something that Jack talked about. Well, it's evident now that you say that and people listen to this interview and they visit Longhouse, I think they'll look at their journey through Longhouse in a different way, knowing that that makes a lot of sense. How do you continue to embody Jack Larson's vision for living with art in all its forms as the new, relatively new director of Longhouse Reserve? He, you know, he made it easy for us. One of his most famous quotes was, be relevant, not reverent. He never really expected us to say, here's what I would do. We're affiliates of something called Historic Artist House and Gardens, where some of the stories are about the various papers that founders left to their successors that said, do this exactly this way. Jack didn't leave us very much. He said, I'm leaving you, you know, an enormous garden, a beautiful house filled with art. Um, be, be relevant. That's a big open question. So to embody, I think it's a big question. Um, he left us with enough leeway but also a degree of respect, a board who knew him, many visitors who knew him, the town of East Hampton who knew him. So there is a, a great responsibility to carry on his legacy, as we might call it, by using the gifts he gave us to the benefit of the community. That would be one way of doing this. Um, Jack was big on education. How do we teach? How do we bring children and adults um, Jack might not have, for instance, this is where it becomes hard. Jack might not have known what do we do in a sort of a post-pandemic universe. And by that, I don't mean a scary place, but I do mean a place where fear has taken over a lot. How can Longhouse be a place that makes people feel safe and joyful, a beautiful place where we inspire creativity? That's what he was all about. And so I think our responsibility to do that, what I'm saying is, is now more imperative than ever, even if he didn't leave us precise operating instructions. So it, me, what, what I'm doing is, is programming and welcoming, um, designing more, more programs for children, designing talks and conversations for adults. I'm hearing from friends my age that more and more people moved to the Hamptons during the COVID time, during the pandemic thinking they might go back to the city and they never did. And what are they missing now in East Hampton? 
intellectual stimulation, things to do, places to go. So not only where can I bring my kids on a Saturday, but where can I join with other people who want to talk about texture or like Fitzhugh, you know, the landscape design and what that means and how that's an art form. So we're doing more and more and more programming. I hope all your listeners just watch for us in dance papers and other places because we have excellent programs every single weekend. Um, I think that's what Jack would have wanted. Just He also said, open my house to the public. Now, he didn't mean literally open my house. We will do that, um, hopefully, in years to come. Um, but, but what he meant, I think, was open more. So we're open Wednesday through Sunday now, consistently, five days a week, April through the end of December. Um, and that's what he would have wanted. So these are, these are simple things. You know, how do we grow? We just we open our doors as much as we can. So you have not been constrained by what you've referred to as founder's syndrome. Founder's syndrome really is a thing. It's when there's a founder who leaves, you know, a, a legacy with a lot of rules. It can also be carried on by a board who thought that things might go a certain way. I have a great board and, and lots of new board members, too, who didn't know Jack and who are looking for what Longhouse could become. So no, not as constrained as some other places where a founder would have given you sort of chapter and, and verse. Um, with that comes what you've, what you've said, kind of the, the, the blessing and the curse. And the blessing is, is huge freedom to program and to interpret and to figure it out. One thing I would say, the founder syndrome was that Jack left us this magnificent house and a lovely garden, but, but he wasn't a wealthy man. And and that's something that I, I just have to say. I say it all the time because it, Longhouse is such a beautiful place that many people think that that we're also, also a very wealthy organization. But no, he spent all of his money on plants and keeping that house up. So that's the greatest challenge of all is keeping keeping that up without him. So I'm looking for friends and members and people to come to programs and to really to love us and to support us is so meaningful right now and so necessary. Well, you mentioned some of the challenges. What are the unique challenges and opportunities that come with managing both a fine art and plant collection all together? The one that comes to mind, you know, is the, you know, the biggest challenge of all for all of us is the change in climate. So our garden belongs to a greater array of gardens across the country, the American Public Gardens Association. We talk regularly as a group of leaders about changes in climate and what that means, how hard that is, how to maintain a garden that is always beautiful. We look in that way to regenerative practices, what what we'd call harm reduction. You'd think that by feeding your plants more chemicals or watering them more and keeping them alive and sort of mitigating the results of changes in temperature and air quality and, and, and water would actually help, it actually harms. These are the greatest challenges of trying to figure out how to maintain a four season beautiful garden, even as temperature changes and as we learn more about how we care for our plants. So that's, that's challenge number one. Um, challenge number two then is caring for a collection. Collections care in some ways is easier than plant care because these are known entities. Longhouse is not a collecting organization. Jack had a collection. We have inventoried, cataloged, appraised. Um, that entire collection is owned by Longhouse. All the art and the furniture is owned by, by Longhouse as an institution. So caring, dusting, cleaning, 
inventorying, interpreting, helping people to understand what all of our collections mean is a is is also a huge responsibility. But both of these responsibilities are um, kind of delightful challenges because we are not alone. Cultural, not unique to Longhouse, I'd say. These are common challenges that are faced by every cultural organization. We're like, I'll tell you, there there aren't that many of us sculpture gardens. Many, many botanical gardens have art exhibitions, but but gardens that own art do have a very, I'd say, a special place in heaven. That's us, Storm King in the Upper Hudson Valley, Crystal Bridges, the Huntington, Newfields in Indianapolis, De Cordova in Massachusetts. I could go on, but it isn't a very long list. It's not a very long list of, of places that were actually founded to do this. So there's a great pride that I take in that as well, being part of that group. You've recently, I think, started to do a lot of organic taking care of the grounds, no pesticides. One of the ponds has is colored with uh, food coloring. What kind of approach are you taking now that is different? You know, I think Longhouse was always on this trajectory, but it's all the more compelling now to to do right by by the plants. Um, we work with Edwina von Gaal and her Perfect Earth program and uh, the toolkit that we get from there. The language is really good. So we talk, we're talking less about toxin-free or chemical-free, which has its own set of uh, triggers to it. We're, but we're actually talking about encouraging life, life on earth. Using fewer chemicals in our garden, I'll go back to that word, also means that we're not subjecting our garden workers to those materials. So it's not just keeping plants alive that might have otherwise died or prolonging a season because we as humans want to see them longer or keep our grass greener. These are things that we have to learn to live with. So that was always happening, but I think that the future of Longhouse the health of our guests, the health of our, our workers, it just made it an imperative. And also the tools are there. So it isn't, it isn't as hard as it was. You know, we did this at the New York Botanical Garden when I was president there, just really looking at which of our resources that were going toward plant health were absolutely necessary and which ones we might be able to think again about because the world is going in this way. And in that, it's some of its water use less water use, less sprinkling. What does that mean? Um, what does a healthy lawn look like? Ours has clover in it. And I know that doesn't look like a golf course, but we're not a golf course, we're a lawn. Um, that means that our bee populations are happy and we have more birds. We have more birds than ever. Birders, please come to Longhouse because of what we're doing. We have the sound and at night, uh, even in the late afternoons, if any of you come uh, again, Wednesday through Sunday, if you get there by about three or four o'clock, the frogs start to sing. And I swear there we have a greater frog population than we did even a year ago. I know they've always been there and they're always in the pond. But those are the sound the sounds of nature that um, I hope people really come and listen and look and and see it's a very beautiful, beautiful garden without being overly tended to. It's very different than maybe landscaping you know, home landscaping. We're tidy, but not that tidy. Oh, I'll tell you the other thing. We're also what, what's called a closed loop, which means we keep all of our plant material on property. Hmm. It means we have a gigantic composting area 
that you can see in the back of the property. That's all of our leaves, mm-hmm. all of our twigs, all of the plants that we've pruned or trimmed, all of the flowers that we've deadheaded are all going into this enormous compost operation. Um, rather than shipping it off to the town dump or throwing it away, we're actually keeping it all. So our little piece of the planet is, again, regenerative in that way. And speaking of regenerative, the house, I understand you're working with local architect Lee Skolnick to look at the house and possibly reconfiguring some of the spaces to be open to the public. What What's going on with that and what can we hope for in the future? Working with Lee has been an absolute pleasure. And he likes to say, if we do our job right, you'll never know we did a thing. The work that Lee guided us in over the past year is not the sexy part. We had something, some somewhere close to 18 or 20 specialty engineers come through the house to look at everything. It would be almost like if it was your house, it would be the inspection. It's plumbing and windows, HVAC. The house is not air conditioned and barely has heating because Jack and his partner, Peter, largely lived there during the summer for most of the time. Um, everything, floor stability, there's an elevator in the house. Um, for public tours, which we'd like to do someday, accessibility has to be measured. How do people get into the house? Um, so really looking at everything, um, the roofing materials. I could go on. We have a 100-page report which talks about not physical architectural changes to the house, but work that has to be done so that the house can exist for an, for the next 30 years. Um, what that might look like in future, I don't know, it, it's going to cost a lot. So I've got a fundraising, you know, tag out there. But um, what that would look like is, is select public tours, like you might get at the Pollock Krasner House or other places, not for everyone, but for people who might, you know, twice a day on a weekend or something. Um, we've also been able to use the house even now for conversations for the book the let's say Bookhampton has their book club with us every the first second Tuesday of every month something that anyone can join in on and that's been it's been very pleasant to open the house in small ways to begin to allow the community in in ways that, that we can do according to our our zoning um, the, the the really noticeable pieces I think of our growth in an architectural way will be the redevelopment of our um, visitor entry. We talk about, everyone loves our shop. We talk about making, changing that a little bit, redoing our public restrooms so that they're kinder and friendlier, maybe building a picnic space for where people could bring their sandwiches out of their car. I mean, we just put in a bottle filling station this summer. It's amazing. It's such a small thing but everyone loves it so much. Like you're at the airport filling, now there's a place where you can get fresh water at Longhouse. It's so funny how small things make a difference. So that whole configuration could change in a very modest way, but in a way that we just, and our parking lot, we need more parking. So that could change just in ways that you won't notice. And then my favorite project of all is what I'm calling a children's education center. Sometimes we call it the green materials center which takes our very old and forlorn shed, our garden shed, and turns it into a shed that provides proper and equitable space for our gardeners. The shed right now doesn't even have a restroom or running water for them. It was built as a shed. So that needs to be done 
probably first and foremost for equitable conditions for our very good gardeners who've been with us for decades. And then what we would add on to it is a kind of an outdoor classroom. Um, right now, we don't have a place where kids or adults or families can go on a rainy day. And in that place, would love, 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 love to be thinking about um, teaching about plants, teaching about art, teaching about the intersection. Maybe we could do dyeing workshops. We could do weaving workshops. Everything that I think is in my head about pro programming, um, letting kids get off of their phones for a little while and dig into the dirt, making, you know, learning how to grow a plant. Wouldn't that be fabulous? So, and that's not a, that's not a huge project. That's not a huge project, but it is a, um, yeah, a children's, a, an educational center that would really be game changing for our community. It sounds like you have your work cut out for you to make Longhouse even more spectacular than it already is. And just one last question as we wrap up here. What do you hope visitors take away from a visit to Longhouse Reserve? I hope they're calm when they leave. I hope they find peace. That's a lot of me. That's all I hope for anyone in this world. And as someone who's been in culture, art, and nature for my whole life, I grew up with parents who are artists, and I'm so lucky that my whole career has been in art and nature and now both. Why else would we do it if it wasn't to make us feel peaceful? And I'm seeing it. I can see families and people like rushing out of their cars from the parking lot, raring to go. Did we get here on time? And by the time they've left after an hour, they're walking slower. They're speaking in a softer voice. They're saying, as even you have said to me, oh, well, I, I have to come back here as soon as possible. That's, that's the peace. Yeah, to find peace. Find, find peace at Longhouse. Because no one in this world can take it away from you. No one should. But if they did or you lost it, just come to Longhouse and we'll help you find it again. I suspect people will find peace and beauty and so much more at Longhouse Reserve. Thank you for joining us, Carrie. Thank you, Diane. My pleasure. Carrie Barrett is the director of Longhouse Reserve in East Hampton. Longhouse Reserve is a 16-acre sculpture garden, natural sanctuary, and historic home dedicated to teaching people of all ages how to live with art in all its forms. You can learn more at longhouse.org. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of WLIWFM In Conversation, our special program that brings you dynamic voices from across our region and beyond. <laughs>